there's too much going on for that kid right now. It doesn't matter what the parents want. Doesn't matter what the teacher is asking. Doesn't matter what I want them to do in order to help them, so to speak. But um, I had to, you know, I knew that they were being overloaded and they were being dysregulated. So I had, and I somehow understood that intuitively. Christian Vinceno, an irritatingly good-looking Frenchman, working in America with neurodiverse families. We've not really touched on some of the topics that we touched on in this episode before on the Unconventional Podcast. We went deeper than we've ever been before. This was certainly an education for me, unlike any other that I've experienced on this on this adventure. I hope you get as much from this podcast as I did. Hello, Christian. Welcome to the Unconventional Podcast. Um, uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, I apologise for uh, messing you about on the on the times. So uh, I appreciate you being as flexible as you have been. Tell us a little bit about you and your story, because I know that I'm fascinated by it. Uh, reading your LinkedIn, I know that the, the, the listeners are going to be as well. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Andy. And don't worry about yesterday. It happens to the best of us, right? And uh, <clears throat> so I'm happy to be here and, and uh, always happy to share my message. And, and so the short version, um, and hopefully I won't get off a tangent, which I do very easily. Um, <clears throat> I work with neurodivergent families. I, um, I help parents to navigate the neurodivergent uh, complexity of raising a kid who is neurodivergent. And so I, um, I help parents develop a roadmap of sorts of trying to help them identify what the priorities are, sorting out the, the, the issues they are struggling with and giving them some, um, some ways to minimize the stress that they're experiencing and then really finding ways to, uh, whether it is addressing complex behavior situations that they've tried to address and what hasn't worked and um, you know, helping their child to become more confident, to become more um, you know, less overwhelmed and not, be in, not experience as many meltdowns and tantrums and, and, and restore some peace in the family. So in the nutshell, that's what I do. Peace in the family is, um, is something that I think a lot of people would pay a lot of money for, um, especially when they live in in a neurodiverse world um where did because obviously i live in a neurodiverse world um my son jake who's 10 now is autistic um my wife and i did a a series of online tests for myself uh, a while back for autism and adhd um and i'm uh, i've been questioning a lot of things within myself over the last year, but more so particularly since I launched the business. So that's something, that's a journey that I'm gonna kind of take myself on over the next sort of six to 12 months. Where did this come from? What What is it in you? Uh, do you have neurodiverse people in your family? Are you neurodiverse yourself? Where did this come from? Good question. So I I am neurodivergent myself. I have, I have ADHD. Um, always had a lot of anxiety. It's a lot better than than earlier. Um, I, I identify as an empath, highly sensitive person. So I have my share of sensory um, sensory processing difficulties, sensory sensitivities, and and then I grew up in a neurodivergent family. So it's um, you know I have a um, a sister who's um, ADHD. Um, have a nephew who's um, ADHD, and and um, and with my parents, you know, it's my parents are no longer alive, but it's and it's you know they were not they were not diagnosed with with anything, but in retrospect, there was a lot of anxiety, um, especially on my mom's side, and you know, for no no particular reason, uh, nothing that was that was obvious, and my dad was in retrospect most definitely a highly sensitive person. So the, it's likely that there was some other other things there. Um, <clears throat> but 
what has been interesting for me in my own journey is to realize that growing up, of course, I didn't know what was going on. You know, whatever you grew up with is your normal. Yeah. And and <clears throat> but my dad was very sensitive, had a lot of sensory um, sensitivities. So, for example, he was um, he was very noise sensitive. So uh, he was a very kind man, but his noise sensitivity made it made it really uncomfortable for him to, you know, around, around any kind of noisy situation. So uh, there was often feedback to my sister and I to be more quiet, to not, you know, just, just to tone things down. And, and when it was probably just regular, regular kids play and, 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 uh, or, you know, he, he became really dysregulated when the weather was too hot or when it was windy. So sometime we would plan on a weekend to go somewhere and then, halfway through it we realized it was really windy and we said well you know let's let's go home and let's do something else because this is just you know it, yeah. it would try but it just you know you could tell his his yeah. mood would tank and, and you know so you know it's just a lot of things like that you know he he didn't like crowded situations he he uh he needed a lot more extra time to transition and to regroup and and so but of course i didn't think anything of it growing up um and probably because I had some of the same traits without understanding it. So it created somewhat of a safe space probably for me. And and, and then as I became older, as I <clears throat> became an occupational therapist and started working with kids who had a lot of sensory issues, who were mm -hmm. autistic, who had ADHD, who had you know, all sorts of, of uh, different conditions, I started realizing that, oh, I'm very comfortable around those kids. I get them. I, I, it was very intuitive for me to, mm -hmm. to realize that, oh, they, there's too much going on for that kid right now. It doesn't matter what the parents want. It doesn't matter what the teacher is asking. It doesn't matter what I want them mm -hmm. to do in order to help them, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But um, I had to, you know, I knew that they were being overloaded and they were being dysregulated. So I had, and I somehow understood that intuitively because of you know growing up in the you know with the mm -hmm. conditions like that. and so so it was you know it's it's um although I didn't know anything about it growing up as I started working as an occupational therapist I realized you know I I, I connected a lot of those dots and realized that oh, oh so that's what was going on with my dad that's what's going on with my mom that's what's going on with me and mm -hmm. and uh so <laughs> it's been it's been a long journey but where this being this back and forth between my personal and professional life where my mm -hmm. personal life helped me tremendously to understand my clients and how to serve them better. Mm -hmm. But my clients also helped me to understand myself and, and, and grow and, and continue mm -hmm. to learn myself. Uh, do you know what? Just hearing you speak there for the last however many minutes it was, questions were firing off in my brain like left and right I must ask this and I must ask that and there's just too many and to be honest they probably don't need to be asked because you what you've done there in the last few minutes is explain and probably answer so many questions in people's minds that are listening that maybe have certain anxieties themselves or or have, have questioned their own behaviors over the last year two years ten years whatever I think what I want to touch on at this point is the the hereditary element of um, neurodiverse uh, people because for, for, for many years, since we found out about my son years ago, um, when we first took him to see a private occupational therapist, he was only two. Um, and we kind of picked up on a few behaviours and a few markers that he wasn't hitting and stuff like that. And my mother-in-law was the one that encouraged us to go and see someone. And she worked in a space where she kind of picked up on things, probably more so than we did. And so that was kind of the start of our journey with Jake. And obviously that was eight years ago now. And for many years, I didn't, I still didn't look at it and think, uh, oh, it must come from me or it must come from my wife. And it was only recently that I was kind of doing some reading and, and looking at it and 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 people were suggesting and saying that it, it is, in many cases, it is hereditary. It does come through the family. But obviously, as you've quite rightly said there, in our parents' generation, it it wasn't, there wasn't an awareness of it. There wasn't anyone questioning people's behavior. It was just the norm. And now, 
I don't just look at myself, but I also, as you, as you've mentioned, I also look at my mum, who suffers uh, hugely with anxiety, and as you said, around silly, silly things, really, that we would look at and go, why, why do you, why do you get anxious about that? And I think, you know, do, do in your experience of of speaking to children, is there a lot of that? Is there, is it very often? hereditary and it's coming through the family and 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 in your work you're kind of making people think that like the parents of the people that you work with are you, are you making them think about themselves and, and perhaps their behaviors very much so and of course it's different for everyone for every family and 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 the landscape has changed a lot over over the years you know i started i graduated as an occupational therapist in 85 so it's been it's been a minute and wow. and <laughs> and i you know and i thought changes the the main the main changes are that as a as a society as a whole we are understanding more than we used to about what is neurodiversity what is neurodivergence and and you know there's there's a lot more information about or from the fields of neuroscience that that slowly has been trickling down to to you know to the classroom and to to you know um private practitioners and 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 psychologists therapists whatnot and and so little by little we're understanding more so in that in that process more and more parents are recognizing that oh yes i have i have this this trait or i have difficulties with this or i have or you know a scenario that's often happened in my work is as parents contact me to to find solutions to find answers about their child in the process of working together they realize that they have a lot of the same uh traits you, you know it's going to look different or it might not be described through a diagnosis or or but they realize you know and i've, I've had a classic scenario i've had remember i have a, a mom that i've been working with for for probably close to 15 years with her and her son. And so at first she contacted me to work with her son who was on the autism spectrum and, and he was three at the time. And, and, and after we had been working together for a couple of months, she said, you know, I have this question. It's a bit of a silly question, but uh, a lot of the strategies that you're showing me, that you're demonstrating that are really helping my son, I feel like they could really help me too. Is it just, you know, is it weird? Is it, is it so uh, one thing led to another and then she, you know, it became, that's when she started her journey of really embracing that she also had sensory processing difficulties and, and, um, and then, you know, so, so, so that th this is something that often happens in my work where, where parents start recognizing that, oh, I have these two, how do I address this with myself, you know, and, and, and uh, so, I think I think you know a lot of it has a big a big piece of the puzzle is because it's it's somewhat fairly recently that that we've you know that we're embracing this notion of neurodiversity and neurodivergence and that it's and that it's okay and that it's it's you know it's not a it's not a it's not necessarily a, you know it doesn't have to be considered a, a disease or or um but it's still a fairly new concept, so there has been a lot of a lot of shame around it, and and I don't care whether it's dyslexia, whether it's you know being a highly sensitive person, being autistic, being ADHD. There's always some kind of shame associated with it, and it doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be. So mm -hmm. so my 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 goal is always to try to get to the root of that and to try to eliminate some layers of that shame because as long as we're or shame of that as long as we're trying to mask some of those some of those traits then we can't really fully embrace who we are and then it's you know it, it spills into some other areas of of our lives it you know it affects our mental health it it creates anxiety in itself or it's it's you know it affects how much energy we have or how present we can be with with our loved ones at the end of the day so um <clears throat> so i think that's a big it's a big part of yeah. the, the picture um, firstly, I, I just want to say you don't look old enough to have been um, 
to have qualified to be an occupational therapist in 1985. Um, I was five at the time. So you, you definitely don't look old enough. Um, I, I want to touch on something you said there about the shame. Um, because I think something that's that, that I feel could happen, and I've seen it on LinkedIn, obviously a lot of the circles that you and I mix in on, on that platform are in the neurodiverse camp. So there's lots of people in there that have um, neurodiverse children or they're neurodiverse themselves, um, or they just show a genuine interest in that in that world. I've seen a real rise over the last year or so of adults being diagnosed with um, ADHD or autism, uh, probably because of, of the same reasons that I'm exploring it myself in terms of the questions that I've got around my own behaviours. What I worry about is that there's two things really. I worry that people won't explore it because of the reasons you've just said, because I think they feel like they will be judged differently. They might not get that job interview or they might not land that client or people will just instantly see them differently, which is the the tragic reality of the world that we live in. But then there's another side of me that thinks people like me and, and yourself that really understand it and and would embrace it, it you know, if, if, if someone turned around to me in tomorrow and said, yes, I, I honestly do believe you have ADHD or I honestly do believe you're autistic, I would embrace it and I would, I would want to help and support it. But I wonder that if it almost becomes a bit of a buzz word because of the amount of people that are um, investigating it and, and and coming out as as having as having it or being diagnosed there that it almost loses its um loses its importance do you know what i mean i see that i see that in in you know online on social media and and um i think i think that's probably the inevitable outcome of of any new piece of information that's that's being revealed you know where 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 i grew up in a generation in an environment where um you had to hide you were expected to hide anything that was too personal so you know whether it was about your your family whether it was about being adhd whether it was about you know any anything that was too personal the idea was, you know, there was the sense of, well, you have to be professional, you have to conduct yourself a certain way, and being professional meant you don't talk about anything that's personal. And and uh, so what's been fascinating to me, because I've, I've been around for, for a while, is to, you know, with the explosion of social media, is to see how much people now are craving craving to reveal more of who they are. So I think that's that's part of what we're seeing. So is it is it clean? Is it coming out really well? Is it is it accurate? No, because it's, you know, it's going to be messy. We haven't done that as a society for for, you know, for centuries we've been hiding, we've been kind of like putting ourselves in little boxes. What's appropriate to talk about at work? You know, you still see that some of that on social media. You know, people are posting on LinkedIn and somebody's saying, "Oh, you know, you should post this on Facebook, you know, this is on Facebook. It's like, well, so, you know, there's still some of that mindset that where we have to compartmentalize ourselves. You know, there's a little box that we show in one setting and there's other little box that we show in another setting. But we really, you know, to go back to my personal situation, yeah, I grew up with really a strong push of minimizing all those difficulties that I had because it was not deemed professional. And I really felt a lot of a lot of pressure to, you know, look the part. And and well, if I, you know, if I look distracted or if I go off on the tangent, I won't get the job or I'll lose my clients or or you know I'll I'll be judged negatively. And um but you know little by little there's people are realizing that well, it just doesn't work. And, and, and uh, you know, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And it leads to a lot of mental health issues. It leads to anxiety. It leads to, and, and so I think, I think, you know, we're going through a process of just um, embracing more who we are and 
I think social media has helped a lot. So is it is it is it clean and is it done well? No, <laughs> you know, because there's there's all sorts of things and there's you know, there's a lot. I mean, you know, I hear things. There are times where I've shared with people that I have ADHD and the response is, oh, but, you know, we all have a little ADHD. It's like, <laughs> no, we don't, you know, and, and there's a difference between being naturally distracted yeah we all get distracted to some extent but being ad really adhd and the thing is even within adhd you have a huge range of of differences um you know some people are really hyper some people are not some people really cannot function without medications some people are okay without medications some you know and some people don't tolerate medications and and so um so i think you know to your point it's it's I see a lot of people jumping on the bandwagon and and I think we're still trying to figure out well, what is neurodiversity and and you know there's still I, I obviously I post a lot about that on a pretty much on a daily basis and there are a lot of people reaching out to me either publicly or through private messages but saying hey, I have all of those traits but I've never been diagnosed mm -hmm. and some of them have actually decided to go get diagnosed um, uh, because of some of what I've been posting, realizing that oh, I have all those signs. I have 10 of those 10 signs. And and uh, and then others, you know, saying, well, I probably have it, but I'm not interested in getting a diagnosis. And I'm just going to do the best I can with knowing that's that's who I am. So mm. um, <clears throat> so I think there's a little bit of, yeah. of everything. Um, you uh right at the start of this podcast you talked about the fact that you are uh, an occupational therapist and you help children neurodiverse families uh create structures and plans for them to to understand and get the best from their their situations and and the way that they uh, you know communicate and kind of go through life what's been the feedback um in terms of you being neurodivergent being that occupational therapist for neurodivergent families is that is that common is it quite rare what's 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 been the feedback there so a little bit of clarification first i i no longer work as an occupational therapist so i i stopped that work probably about four four or five years ago uh and that's when i transitioned to parent coaching um i felt i felt like i needed I needed to change. I needed to evolve. I felt like the the container of the occupational therapy profession had had become a little too tight mm. for me, and I wanted to do more more things, more creative things, and and <clears throat> provide different services to families and and whatnot. So um, it's you know when when um, I only received a. I may I may get lost in my own thoughts, so feel free to redirect me as as needed. But uh, <laughs> I I only recently got diagnosed with ADHD, so I I pretty much knew I assumed my most of my professional life that I had ADHD, um, because you know I worked I worked with kids and teens and sometimes adults who had the diagnosis, and I would I would you know I worked. Even though I worked often in private practice, in my own private practice, I I collaborated with a lot of other mental health professionals. So I I you know collaborated with teachers, with with uh, psychiatrists, with 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 psychologists, whatnot, and and so I would read the the reports, the the comprehensive reports from the psychologists, the testing, and and so of course you know really quickly I thought oh well I have this I have this I have this. I have that, and it was impossible for me to ignore to ignore my own my own traits because I you know I saw them described in in reports and with but other people and and then I saw I saw people in action and 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 I knew that well yeah I have those sensitivities yeah I get dysregulated when when there's too much noise or if I have to focus when it's a noisy environment or so um, <clears throat> so in terms of you know, when I worked as an occupational therapist and I didn't have an official diagnosis, I still, you know, I was one of those people saying, well, I'm not officially diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure I have ADHD because I have, you know, and I have, and I have, I wasn't exactly sure where, 
one condition started and the other one, you know, ended. But but you know, I knew I had sensory sensitivities and and whatnot. And and so um, so it was never a big secret. And because I worked in the neurodivergent space, uh, the families that I worked with were were more understanding. You know, they were not going to judge me because they. They were just trying to figure things out with with mm-hmm. their own child and 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 sometimes with themselves. So if anything, it created a little more trust than when I shared about you know some of my own own difficulties and and mm-hmm. um and and then now you know now that I've um I I did receive a, <coughs> a diagnosis and 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 that could be another conversation where how hard it was to get a diagnosis, but um. It's the you know the the response overall has been has been positive. I think it usually creates more more trust. Uh, it's it's you know if anything pe- people some people have reached out to me saying you know it's 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 empowering. It, it it inspires me to know that you've done the work to know that you you know you, in spite mm-hmm. of having ADHD, in spite of having anxiety, in spite of having the sensory issues, you're you're showing up and you're doing great work and you're helping mm-hmm. other people. So that gives me motivation to keep learning about myself and keep you know finding ways to support my kids because yeah. it's you know obviously it's not a it's not um you know it's not a death sentence no absolutely not and actually let, let's talk about that because you you literally just touched on there the the process of being diagnosed now you live in america yes Is that i right? live in california san diego california yeah california how long have you been in america since uh, more or less since '86, so oh, wow. I grew up so quite some time. Born and raised, born and raised in Paris, uh, yeah. and moved to the U.S. later on. Yeah, cool. Um, I I know the process in the U.K. Um, and I know generally it's long. Um, and as an adult, I think it's probably even longer. Tell me about the process in the states, um, because I imagine from what you said just now, it was uh, it was tough. It was, it was, and <clears throat> you know, every 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 person's story is different. So um, you know, there's some people who were who got a diagnosis effortlessly, um, but. For me, in my situation, because I suspected for such a long time that I had ADHD, it wasn't really important for me to get a confirmation of it. Mm. Um, And so I didn't seek a diagnosis. And then a couple of years ago, I think it was about two, three years ago, um, I was I was growing, you know, I had transitioned already from being an occupational therapist to doing um, coaching parent coaching and I had to spend more time I had less hands-on time with you know with families and meetings and therapy sessions and I had more time where I was growing my business more time you know finding ways to promote myself to you know research which app I was going to use for my accounting software you know those types of things and and so what happened is that I realized that I was struggling. I was struggling more with staying focused. I was struggling more with procrastination, which you know is often a hallmark trait of ADHD. Um, and I was just having a harder time getting things done. And it was not it had nothing to do with not wanting it bad enough, you know. And 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 you know there was no doubt in my mind that's what i wanted to do and i knew exactly what i needed to do but i just i just i struggled getting things done so i thought you know i think this is this is adhd and i think this is how it's showing up so i um scheduled an appointment with the psychiatrist they uh they said okay we're gonna have you do a couple of tests um and um you know they met with me first for maybe 10, 15 minutes, asked me some questions why why I thought I had ADHD. And, and, and then they gave me a couple of tests. One was a questionnaire type test. And then another one was a computer test where I had to, uh, every time there was something moving in the wrong place on the wrong side, I had to click on the with the mouse and the computer. <clears throat> and so I waited for about a month for the results. And then they say, yeah, you don't qualify for, uh, 
ADHD. We think you, you know, you just have some some anxiety. So if you want, we can give you some, you know, anxiety medication. And uh, and I said, but that doesn't make sense. I I yeah, I'm anxious, but I think I'm anxious because I'm not getting things done and, and I'm feeling the pressure. I'm anxious because ADHD is creating some problems. And said, so, no, yeah, we don't really see it that way. And I said, but how do you know? How do you explain that? Since I was a kid, throughout my my school history, I had you know all of these different symptoms. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was often um, told by teachers, and my parents would be told that I, I talked too much. I talked to my you know whoever was sitting next to me, and 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 or I kept forgetting my pencils and I my books, and I came home, and my mom would say. Where are your gloves and your hat? Uh, I don't know. And you know, I would lose a lot of stuff. And and so basically, the psychiatrist said, "Well, you know." But at this point, we just feel like that's anxiety is it. So I was really not happy with it, and I let it go because I thought, "Well, I've dealt with this my whole life, so I'll just find a way to keep on coping and and really beefing up my strategies, looking for what else can you know can I adjust and do differently." And then as I started promoting my services on LinkedIn, I was talking a lot about ADHD and neurodivergence. And, and uh, so I started having people asking me, you know, are you ADHD? And, and so I started getting really tired of giving that vague answer saying, well, I, I think I am, but, you know, officially I'm not. And, and, and I, you know, so I started feeling a little awkward about this because I thought, well, if I'm not, I don't want to pretend that I am. Uh, but if I am, then I want to know that I am. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And I was still experiencing some difficulties, you know, getting things done, um, you know, certain with certain tasks. So I thought, OK, I have to be really intentional about that. So I reached out outside of my insurance network and I did a lot of research on um, <clears throat> psychiarists in California. I was willing to um, you know, as as long as the services could be done virtually, um, I was you know was willing to go anywhere. And and uh, so I found this psychiatrist. That he looked good on on online. I cross referenced a lot of different platforms. Uh, I saw reviews. I saw and um, started emailing his office. And so long story short, he uh, instead of meeting with me for ten minutes and giving me a couple of tests, he met with me for an hour and a half. And and he asked me a lot of questions for an hour and a half. And and at the end, he said, yeah, it's like I, you know, you're without a doubt, you have ADHD. And uh, so, you know, it was I had to pay about a thousand dollars for for that evaluation. And so, you know, I'm grateful that I had the resources to do that. And I had. You know, I've been in the field, so, I, you know, being assertive and 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 asking you know looking for the right service and and um it's something that i can't do but i you know i wasn't always this confident and this assertive and and you know i, I didn't always have the knowledge to know what it was that i was looking for and and so so for me you know even with this knowledge and even working in the field and even with some resources um, um it took it took this much to get to get the proper diagnosis so uh and you know i hear a lot of those those you know, similar different versions of this, but you know, where people can can struggle or or mm. you know, and it and it it still is more difficult for adults to get an accurate diagnosis than mm. for kids. And yeah. I'm not saying it's easy for kids, but it's it's um it's even more difficult, I think, for yeah. adults because because I think often adults are have been used to whatever they're they're dealing with, have been used to kind of finding ways to cope. And even though it's far from being ideal, they they tend to think, well, this is me. There's no there's no better way of, uh, you know, there's no other solution. I just have to accept it. Mm. And whereas, you know, once you have a diagnosis, I think, you know, for a lot of people who who received an accurate diagnosis, most of the, the there's an overwhelming of majority of people who acknowledge that the diagnosis really helped them in, in different ways. It helped them, there was some level of validation. There was some, it helped them connect more dots of, oh, so this is why I struggle with this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not about developing a crutch or making excuses, but it's it's really about just understanding, 
yourself. And, mm-hmm. and it's one piece of one piece of who I am, you know, and it did feel good to receive that validation. And mm-hmm. it's and it's um it's like, yeah, that just makes sense that I'm struggling more with certain tasks because that's the way my brain is wired. Mm-hmm. How did your your kind of mindset around your business change after you received that diagnosis or did it not? The I think which it was a slight change, but it's it, I think it empowered me more to just because I, I had the the lived experience and I had a little more clarity about what was going on with me. It just empowered me to to talk about it a little more and to create a little more space for other people to go through that process or or, you know, whether it's the process of. I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't diagnose. I don't provide any diagnosis or anything like this. But uh, having gone through that process, I can, you know, I have a little more mm. empathy and understanding and, and of what other people may go through. Um, and you know, this this thing about when whenever we start focusing on one thing, researching one thing, the more you research, the more you learn, and the more you learn, the more the more you hear it in your circle, and and you know, it's kind of like you're interested in buying a certain car model and you're thinking about it and suddenly every time you get on the road you see you see those cars where you've never noticed them before and and so it's a little bit the same thing you know where where having this diagnosis it just keeps it really in the forefront of things when i talk about neurodivergence when i talk about different um um you know scenarios that people may find themselves into, you know, and, and uh, so just it's made it, I think, a little more, it gave me a little more um, clarity and and made it a little easier for me to to really talk about those, those um, you know, those pain points that we all deal with when, when you know, with neurodivergence. One of the things that um, happened to me uh, very recently, I was talking to my parents and I was talking to them about uh, the online test that I'd done and the scores that had, had come out of it. And that at some point, I felt that I wanted to kind of pursue that journey and kind of just get, much like yourself, a, a more uh, expert opinion on on what was going on with me and, and, and was there a chance that it was more than just... Because I don't believe I wake up every morning wanting to be lazy or wanting to be anxious or wanting to not spend more than an hour on one task because I I don't believe I you know I would give anything to be able to sit and do a task for eight hours and just finish it but I, I am very much I do an hour on one an hour on another an hour on another and as I've said on many of these podcasts everything gets done but it gets done in a, a, a kind of weird way that a lot of people don't compute with so and, and when I said that to my mum and dad, they were like, but why do you need to know? You've, you've kind of lived with it up until now. Why do you need to know? And I think that's quite an old school mindset um, of people of their generation. And I kind of said to them, the reason I would want to know is because there are unanswered questions in me that hopefully some, like as you quite rightly said, some validation from someone that knows a lot more about this than I do might just bring a bit of peace of mind um, to those days where I'm almost beating myself up a little bit for not getting something done or not finishing something or not working as hard as I did the day before. Um, Does that make sense? I I think there's a real generation gap, isn't there? And, And I think that that generation of the you know they're in there they're they're 70 now they just they they just didn't get why i would want it um but i think so many of the people that i've seen on the social media platforms have been around my sort of age and, and perhaps in their 50s um who really do get it um does that does that kind of make sense uh, i'm rambling but yeah no i think i think there's a huge uh generational factor um and it's you know i think it goes back to you know previous generations did not grow up with that information they did not grow up with the concept that oh we all process information a little differently and therefore we all operate a little differently and we all are best under different circumstances and and they didn't grow up with that mindset it was more you know about 
discipline about about you know pushing hard and and uh, so you know and I also see that with um, I don't know if you've experienced that as a you know with your with your own family with your own uh, with with Jake with your son but you know I've seen I've had so many clients who um, acknowledge how hard it was for their own parents you know, for, for the grandparents to accept that their child had autism or had had, you know, really strong difficulties with X, Y and Z and where the grandparents would say, oh, oh, it's just a kid or or, you know, you're just too lenient as a parent and you need to be stricter and and you need to teach that boy some some manners. You need to, you know, and it's like, no, you you don't get it, you know, and 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 that's created a lot of, you know, a lot of stress within families and and some some parents have had to um you know almost like stop stop some some relationships or tell their own parents that you know we're never going to come visit you if you keep doing this or if you don't create a safe space we we're not going to be around because that's just that's just you know too harmful to our kid and whether you agree with it or not that's you know it's irrelevant my parents were exactly that um, and don't get me wrong, they're, they're amazing people. They've been amazing parents to me. They're great grandparents to Jake and Josh. But I think there was a denial um, element in the early days, possibly because they just didn't want to accept that. And and their version of autism is that it's something wrong, like many people of their generation. So they didn't want to accept that there was anything not normal in their their first grandchild um now a few years on they've accepted it i would say 80 to 90 percent and they're 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 so much better than they were but i think it's natural for people of that age to every now and again default back to their kind of natural state of oh it might grow out of that or that will get easier in time or you know all kids do that and it doesn't happen very often but every now and again it 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 does happen um but i but but you're right i think there have been and, and if i take parents out aside for a second there's also friendship friendships that have been affected by um the fact that we had to change the way we lived our lives we, you know, we, we weren't able to just go and do whatever we wanted and the kids just get on with it like so many of our friends do because we knew that that was putting Jake in a, a really awkward situation, something that he would have found extremely difficult to deal with. Then the fallout, even if he deals with it in the present, the fallout on the back end, which is what we then deal with for the next 24, 48 hours, is horrendous and no one sees that. So friendships have been massively affected for us and probably for a hell of a lot of your clients over the last few years. No, absolutely. And it just spills everywhere. And then it's, and then, you know, what's really tragic is that in that process, the parents, even though the parents know in their hearts that, you know, they need to set those boundaries for their child, they need to protect their child, but somehow they still shame. They still, it still puts doubt in a lot of parents' mind about, oh, you know, I'm just too this, I'm too sensitive, or I'm too, I'm not strict enough, or I'm making too much of an issue, or, or, and and it's just, you know, that's exhausting, and that's just really weighs down on the on the entire family, and and you know, the piece, the piece, I really appreciate the the, the point that you you made about, you know, that the the fallout is not just on that day. But it can have repercussions, can spill into, you know, the next day. And it can, you know, and that's that's what happens with neurologically based conditions, you know, when when with those so-called neurodevelopmental disorders, you know, whether it's autism or whether it's, you know, and and because when we become dysregulated, it's it's not a matter of not trying hard enough. It's it's, you know, when kids have a meltdown, you know, it's not because they want attention. They have a meltdown because their brain is in sensory overload and there's nothing they can do about it. You know, it's all part of how their brain is responding to certain input to the environment or to the demands or, <clears throat> and so when we become dysregulated, you know, we go potentially through a full fight or flight 
reaction. I mean, there's some very specific neurological processes that take place, you know, and 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 uh, so um, and for some children, you know, they yeah, they won't be able to sleep that night, and so they will have repercussion for several days. They won't do as well the next day in school because they'll be tired, and 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 then they'll be told by the teacher, you really need to focus better. This is not a difficult task, and 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 then we'll just snowball. And so uh, you know that's that's the tragic part of not really understanding the the roots of the issue, and we don't you know acknowledge that we don't know all all that there is to know about about all those neurodivergent conditions. But mm. you know there's there's a lot that we know, and 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 but too often the the neurological underlying Peace is ignored or not not understood well enough, and that's you know people tend to think, well, we just have to you know we just have to try a little harder, or we just have to. And it's like, no, it's not about trying harder. It's you know if your child was blind, you wouldn't get mad at them because they're bumping into furniture. You know, and 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 uh, if you had a child in a wheelchair, you wouldn't get mad at them because they can't. You know, go up the stairs easily, and 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 uh, so that's the same thing. You know, if your brain becomes really overwhelmed because there's you're really sensitive to smells, and there's this really you know certain smell that your brain interprets as as extremely nauseous and 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 horrendous, uh, then you can't focus. And you know, I had a had a student many many years ago, a client who. Uh, <coughs> uh, um, at the time, he was probably it was probably seven or eight, and he was autistic, and he um, he had failed uh, in a lot of schools. And what I really mean to say is that schools that had failed him. That uh, so eventually his mom found a it's more of a of a private school, um, and so he started doing a little better. Uh, it was smaller groups, smaller classrooms, uh, a little more personal attention, and and then after a couple of months, he just started melting down every single morning, and he would just get to school, and nobody could figure out why he was melting down, and he didn't want to go to school anymore. So I had um, I had a session with him. It had been happening for a few days, and um, no one had 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 asked the child why he was melting down, what the problem was. They just told him what he needed to do. So I asked him, I said, hey, I said, I know you've been having a hard time in school lately. And I was just kind of like quiet nodding. And I said, you know, I wonder what's what's going on. I wonder if you know what's what's been difficult. It's like, it's that smell. It's that smell. I hate the smell of coffee. And 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 he just you know he he shouted shouted way louder than I'm doing it now and and, uh, and I'm like wow it's like tell me more tell me about that smell and it's like it just smells like coffee I hate the smell of coffee and his mom didn't know because she didn't drink coffee and and so no one no one it was just his mom and himself and and so no one in the family unit drank coffee uh, and he didn't have, you know, when he became, he had a fair amount of language, but when he became dysregulated at seven years old, he, he could not access language to really explain what was bothering him. Um, and no one had bothered to ask him. So, so once I, you know, and he told me, I said, wow, I said, well, no wonder why you get stressed. If it's, if it's, you know, if you really hate the smell of coffee. So I said, well, where does that smell come from? It's like, I don't know. I have to go through a room in the morning and it didn't used to be that way, but it's, it's, it smells like coffee. So we investigated and sure enough, it was, a, it was a very small school. It was a little bit set up like a, almost like, like a house, like a big house. And so for, for the students to go to their classroom, they had to go through the staff lounge where they were brewing coffee in the morning. And, and uh, so the smell was really strong and it worked for everybody else, didn't work for him. So once we understood that and we talked to the school, they made some changes and they had him go through a different path and then everything was off, was resolved. But, you know, it was never, you know, that sharing that story because I know, I know a lot of people can relate to variations of that. And and you know it may not be with smell, but maybe with lights, or it may be with you know some something different. But uh, <clears throat> this is a to me, it's always a good example of 
you know, this has nothing to do with emotions. It has nothing to do with trying hard enough. It's, it has to do with the way someone's brain is wired and, and how a certain type of input can really trigger a full-on fight or flight uh, response that the child has no no control over in that moment. So can it get better? Yes. Can it get, you know, but it's a combination of helping the child first understand what they're going through. So validating their experience. Say, hey, you're not crazy. You're not, you're not a bad kid for having this response. It's just the way, you know, your brain is responding. So first we need to do that. And then we need to look at Okay, really helping the child to understand themselves about what's working for them, what's not working, and then looking for, you know, we can't always solve the problem, but we have to look for workarounds, you know, and 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 sometimes it's about helping the child to focus on self-advocating, uh, but they can't self-advocate if they don't really understand themselves. So so and and uh, so you know, sometimes the solution is more about teaching them you know, language skills or ways to, to express themselves. Uh, and sometimes it's more about, you know, helping them tune into their own discomfort and, and learning what works, what doesn't work for them and yeah. starting to experiment with, with different, yeah. different um, solutions. I completely forgot what the initial question was, but. Uh, do you know what? It, it really doesn't matter because I think you've, you've, you've covered so much information today. And I think so many people, including me, will resonate with everything you've just said, the stories that you've told, that the kind of real deep information that, if I'm honest, ever since we started this podcast, we haven't really heard. Um, I think you've gone probably slightly deeper and, and slightly kind of more detailed than perhaps we've 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 heard on this so far. So it's been it's been incredible for me. It's been an, an amazing way to spend an hour. Um, I've learned a hell of a lot. It's given me a hell of a lot of things to think about not just in myself but in jake and just the way that we conduct ourselves daily with within the business um so christian thank you very much for your time um we got there in the end it's actually now pouring with rain in the uk in my little office in the garden um so yeah thank you very very much it's been a a, a fantastic hour and um yeah uh, we will we will stay in touch i'm sure Thank you so much for having me and, and uh, you know, appreciate the opportunity to to chat and, and spread the message and hopefully inspire and empower people to uh, understand more about themselves or their their family members. Uh, and Christian, just before we leave, if anyone wants to actually get hold of you, what's the what's the easiest way to to connect with you? Is it through LinkedIn? If they are on LinkedIn, LinkedIn is a great place. Um, I'm, you know, always happy to um, answer personal messages or have a lot of, uh, I put out a lot of content there so uh, people can get to know me there. Um, if they're not on LinkedIn, the best way is to contact me through my website. So it's lifeguidecoaching.org. Um, and they, um, people, I have the option of, um, emailing me or even scheduling a, um, a free chat to just, um, you know, talk more about their situation and ask me questions or, you know, my email is there so they can email me and ask, ask me questions. Cool. Awesome. Thank you very much, Christian. And uh, we'll speak again soon. That sounds good. Thank you, Andy. You have a great day.